to the Residents and Fellows Audio Corner. Today, we are privileged to have Dr. Sergio Burgis from Ohio State University with us, and on behalf of the Education Committee of the SNAC, we extend a very warm welcome to him. Dr. Burgis is well known to one and all in the anesthesiology circles. He is Professor of Anesthesiology and Neurological Surgery and Head of the Division of Neuroanesthesia at the Ohio State University. He is also the Director of Clinical and Neurological Research and Director of the Neuroanesthesia Fellowship and Director of the Clinical and Perioperative Research Fellowship at the Ohio State Wexner Medical Center. Dr. Burgess founded one of the largest clinical anesthesia research teams nationwide. He has led this team to new achievements, including multiple collaborations, research grants, presentations, and peer-reviewed publications. He has about 250 grants generating extramural funding in the amount of over $8 million for research purposes, leading to multiple publications in high-impact journals. Among his areas of interest are post-operative pain, post-operative nausea and vomiting, post-operative delirium, post-anesthetic recovery, and patient uh, monitoring devices. And there's so much more to say, but uh, we're going to get on with the podcast. And thank you so much for being with us today, Dr. Burgess. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Our first question to you today is, what are the indications in performing an awake craniotomy? Is this awake craniotomy, or is it better termed a sleep-awake, a sleep craniotomy? Well, I think the classic uh, denomination is awake craniotomy. Um, awake craniotomy uh, is the preferred approach for functional neurosurgery. Uh, it's also indicated for others like epilepsy surgery and mostly for neurosurgical procedures that require intraoperative monitor of uh, speech and motor function, the motor strip. Um, so this will include uh, tumors uh, of the brain or the eloquent areas. Um, when we look at the data, uh, the reasons that many times we prefer an awake craniotomy is because we would allow a more uh, precise excision of the tumor and many uh, uh, times uh, wider excisions and also uh, newer data suggest that uh, the perioperative uh, morbidity and even mortality in some cases, but mostly morbidity of this procedure is less than when you do as, at a sleep uh, craniotomy. Sure. So how, how do we go about the preoperative evaluation? For example, if the patient is extremely anxious, which is quite likely, how can we adequately prepare this patient? I think uh, a careful uh, patient selection is crucial for this patient. So I'm just going to try to focus on the specifics of awake craniotomy. Uh, we know what, what we will do for any other patient. And top of that, we will add um, a good assessment of the cognitive status and mostly the ability to cooperate. I mean, something that uh, for us work out very well is to see those patients and they want the visit with the surgeon. You have the ability to see those patients two or three times. Patients uh, build a relationship with you, and, and that ability to cooperate should be evaluated uh, very uh, careful. Um, right. Also, uh, we will focus on specifics, and I think in the rest of the questions you're going to go over, I, I presume, uh, over those topics such as um, what kind of uh, regional anesthesia or no you will do, what kind of sedation you will do. We're going to talk about that uh, for sure. Right. Uh, the management of the airway uh, 
evaluate the airway of that patient is, is crucial, uh, as well as specifically the uh, language uh, function, etc. Right. Um, so during your preoperative evaluation, would there be any reason to say this patient is not suitable for an awake craniotomy? In other words, in, in other words, we would like to know what contraindications would be there to do this procedure. I would I would think the most specific ones would be that patient who tells you they uh, will be uh, too much for them. They cannot cooperate. They they don't have the ability to work with you. Um, the other the other one that's so specific is um, um, age, for instance. Um, um, mm-hmm. Many cases, uh, patients that in the two extremes sometimes are a little more um, difficult. Uh, younger patients, even though we have done patients up to uh, 10, 12 years old without any problems, younger patients clearly would be a problem. Also, in the other extreme, maybe also. There are no many specific contraindications for a weight craniotomy beyond that. Sure. All right. So like you mentioned about regional anesthesia, would you consider a scalp block or would you let the surgeons infiltrate the site of injection? I mean, if you look at the data, I don't think there is much uh, difference. Uh, I remember Ed Nemenbrooker from Virginia uh, uh, published a paper not long time ago where comparing uh, regional uh, scalp blocks to, to local infiltration to uh, sedation re- on remifentanil. There was not much of a difference in between the difference. And I think it is a little bit... Uh, what you prefer. Um, we started with skull block, but uh, one of the things that we saw was that the patients were complaining about having the head too numb. And, and they complained about that more than when they were not well blocked. So uh, personally, here at uh, our center, what we do is just uh, local infiltration. What we uh, found was more or less the same results, but also um, you can save some time. And I think in a, this type of procedure, uh, time is, is very, very important because patients do not want uh, to be awake uh, with needles in the head for a long period of time. So sometimes uh, shaving time is very, very important. And if the results mm-hmm. are super, uh, pr- probably uh, you should think about that very seriously. Uh, we, we, again, use uh, local infiltration mostly. Okay. Sure. So regarding the anesthetic agents, what would you consider using? How would you manage this patient's airway? If this patient has obstructive sleep apnea or is morbidly obese, how should we proceed? I asked all of them together because I thought we right. would probably address them together. Right. So, so uh, uh, yeah. normally what we do is uh, uh, awake, sleep, uh, uh, sorry, sleep, sleep, awake, um, sleep, Awake, sleep uh, are the three uh, classic steps that we use, and okay. uh, and and again, the, the clearly uh, one of the things that we fear the most, since we many times we do not put a, a permanent airway, is the patients who are obese. They they do uh, get a little bit more of obstruction. Uh, if you are concerned about that, you can use, quote-unquote, a more a permanent air, airway during the sleep phase, like an LMA or a cuff, cuff uh, or a pharyngeal airway, something along those lines, uh, and that can help you. 
clearly, uh, you asked me about uh, medications and, and, and so on, and I would say that dexmedetomidine is probably the the drug who truly changed away craniotomy forever because mm -hmm. uh, it give you a different, uh, more cooperative sedation. And as we know all very well, it depresses uh, the respiratory uh, function much less than, than the right. uh, hypnotics that we know. Sure. Do you use anything along with dexmedetomidine? How about like remifentanil or propofol? Do you choose those? Right, so you're going to follow what we call, you know, analgo sedation. So you got to treat pain uh, first, and because otherwise okay. if you have pain, um, you will not be able to have a good uh, level of sedation, right? If patient is over-sedated, agitated, patient is under-sedated, it's going to right. go to sleep, it's going to obstruct. So uh, treating pain is crucial. Now, uh, do you use Remy fentanyl or no? Some centers do use Remy fentanyl. Uh, we use fentanyl only when it's needed. Uh, the reason that we avoid uh, Remy fentanyl is because uh, since you are not controlling ventilation, and as we know very well, the CO2 is the most powerful driver for uh, cerebral uh, vasodilation. Um, right. Uh, avoiding opioids uh, truly. Um, allows you to 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 get a a, a less uh, 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 you know uh, encourage uh, brain. So so uh, we did not see the need in every single case uh, to have remifentanil. Remifentanil we use it more on deception. To be honest, um, when patients have pain, we prefer to start perhaps with a paracetamol IV and then move mm -hmm. to opioids only when it's needed. And patients do very well with that. Okay. Sure. Looks like we need to have just the right balance so that the case can proceed smoothly. Correct. Okay. If the patient has progressive obstruction to the airway after the surgeons have pinned the head and begun the craniotomy, how should we handle the situation? Right. So first, you got to always be prepared to transform an awake craniotomy to an asleep craniotomy. And, and again, we have done that in certain circumstances. So if the patient is obese, uh, I always had a really good conversation with the surgeon to understand the indications very well, because many times you have softer indications. And if you start to have those kind of obstruction, then you will be much easier to convert the patient to 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 sleep. Uh, you know, you can do many uh, uh, different uh, tricks, and then you can mm -hmm. try to extend the neck, and you're trying to to uh, you know uh, uh, soften the sedation, if you will, uh, trying to see mm -hmm. that will will breathe better and avoiding opioids, and those patients is paramount. So. Um, again, uh, it's the perfect balance in between uh, avoiding the drugs that we know that they're not going to help us and have the patient comfortable as well. Right, sure. So if the patient is progressively agitated, how should we deepen the anesthetic safely? Say that again, please. If the patient gets progressively agitated, sometimes we make a stat and then they're not totally asleep or then the surgeon says, oh, he's moving, things like that, and the patient's head is pinned. That's right. always a situation where we get really worried. So I was wondering how we deepen the anesthetic safely in the situation. Right. So it's not it's not easy. Uh, it's not an easy mm. situation. Again, 
I think uh, preparation is more important than trying to deal with surprises. Um, you know, uh, the problem deepening the anesthetic is then you may not have a competitive patient. And if you don't have a competitive patient, probably you're going to lose that ability to localize uh, whatever uh, you are trying to localize in that specific pathology. So, so again, um, I think it, uh, talking to the patient, having a person fully dedicated to, to converse with the patient, uh, have a patient yeah. seen several times before is probably more important than anything else, more than drugs, to be honest. Sure, sure. So um, sometimes we have intraoperative seizures when the patient, when the surgeon is um, handling the motor cortex. So how would we handle the occurrence of intraoperative seizures? Right. So that's the problem. We know that, you know, up to 50% of the patients with brain tumor can have perioperative seizure at some point. Uh, mostly there are supratentorial tumors. The patients are younger and the duration of the surgery are longer. Those patients have more chances to have uh, tumors. Uh, temporal uh, location may also be uh, one of the causes of perioperative uh, uh, seizure uh, propagation, and, and if the patient have uh, high-grade uh, gliomas also. So knowing that those may be worse, uh, you may have that in mind and be ready to treat those uh, patients. Uh, now, uh, do what would you do? Well, you use, uh, you will treat the, the cause immediately with barbiturates or, or propofol or or, you know, benzodiazepines, you know, they have a potent anticonvulsive uh, effect. Now, should we pre-treat those patients? Well, the data doesn't truly support the pre-treating um, um, uh, patients for uh, uh, with anticonvulsants has any effect, okay. mostly first-generation, uh, pr probably not. Maybe there's some data that start to point the second-generations like uh, levetiracetam, uh, Kepra, mm -hmm. uh, may have is some benefit. So in that case, it's something that you may do in those patients that are at high risk. Sure. Have you uh, have you ever like asked the surgeons to like irrigate with cold saline? I don't know if I missed you saying that, but I was wondering if that would be an option to true, abolish true. seizures. True, true. Yeah. That would be a classic treatment. I was, you know, trying to be more specific for away cranies, but yes, absolutely. Sure. Okay, I see. All right. The surgeon is completing the exposure and would like the patient to be awake in 15 minutes. Now, how do we handle the awake phase? And uh, the other question I also have in this is there have been instances when the patient has not woken up. You expect them to wake up and then, you know, how many ever times you call them, they are still sleepy. How would we handle this? Right. So one of the things that, one of the things that, um, you know, um, it's very important is to, to be a step ahead. Um, and mostly in the U.S., where we are more used to do uh, general anesthesia with inhaled anesthetic, sometimes when we get into uh, propofol, TIVA techniques, uh, we sometimes uh, uh, lose the, the, a little bit the focus and, and uh, we miss uh, the understanding that uh, that technique will delay recovery in, in a way. So... For instance, when you start the case and you do the uh, sleep phase, uh, many times 
Now, as soon as the patient crossed the dura is when I stop my propofol because I know that it's going to take about 15 minutes or so uh, until that, depending how long you've been infusing, but more or less until that patient starts to wake up. So you, you just kind of have to uh, measure that and, and, and be ready for that. Same thing at the end of the case. I think that you got to start to titrate down. Uh, look over the, the the shoulders of the shoulder, the surgeon, and 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 be uh, one step ahead and on decreasing your drugs, so the patient's going to be ready when it needs to be ready. Right, very true. Sometimes I wonder whether it's easier said than done, but I suppose you're right that we have to really balance it out such that we are able to wake the patient up on time when they need to do the testing. So right. our next again, these patients don't need to be as deep as as the other patient because we know that those patients are prepared for for an awake phase. Uh, again, recall and awareness is no much of a problem in these cases. So mm-hmm. yeah, again, uh, it's just a matter of uh, being ready for. Right. Okay, our next question to you is, are there any blood pressure goals we need to keep in mind during the period of speech mapping? I don't don't think it's going to be different than in any other craniotomy. I mean, having uh, acceptable Mm -hmm. uh, perfusion pressures, I mean, we know today that uh, probably, uh, quote-unquote, higher uh, perfusion pressures are probably uh, better uh, than what we used to do many years back, but but above and beyond that, right. probably, probably not different than any other. Sure. Um, how would we handle the closing phase? Would you just turn back whatever sedation was on? Would you make any changes? Right. So normally, when the uh, the resection of the tumor is finalized, um, most of the time we are going to go back to the sleep phase. And uh, and putting those patients back to sleep, and and because it takes time, and you know, again, I think the big advantage of the sleep awake sleep is that uh, the patient is much more comfortable in the middle of the operation, and the patient is uh, asleep when we don't need it awake. So, so the closing phase is just, uh, you know, it's a big big advantage to putting those patients sleep. Uh, you know, be part of a multidisciplinary team where the surgeon understand the time is important in these patients. To be everybody mm-hmm. else on the same page is absolutely crucial for this uh, for this type of procedures. Sure. Well, this was a very, very uh, interesting and a very informative um, session. Would you like to tell us anything else? Yeah. Anything that I missed? I think there were uh, very good questions. Uh, uh, probably, I mean, if you do this um, all the time or you're a big center, probably you're used to do it. And again, we can argue all day about using remifentanil or no, or using, um, you know, skull blocks or no. But at the end of the day, the results are very similar. Now, if you go into a new center or you've never done this before, probably it's, it's very important. Uh, to go and learn from somebody else who does this often because it's, mm-hmm. it's much simpler than it sounds when you truly uh, follow certain golden rules. Well, it was really a great pleasure having you on this podcast, and we thank you so much for your time. Oh, it's my pleasure.
Thank you very much.